Greetings, friends. This is Dick Flax, your monthly host for Inside Isle of Vista. We have a very special uh, occasion today because Greg Hart is our guest, uh, and we'll be having a conversation with him. And the reason that's so special, apart from the fact that he is special, is that this is a new uh, county supervisor for Isla Vista after a long period of time uh, being located in the third district. Uh, Isla Vista was redistricted into Greg's district, which is the second district. And um, this is a big change in representation for this community. And uh, we want to explore what that might mean. Uh, greetings, Greg. Good morning, Dick. It's wonderful to chat. And it's we're in the morning, but the program will be on it's in the in the late afternoon. So we'll just make that. Clear. That was my mistake. You even <laughs> warned me about that. That's so. okay. Good evening, listeners. It's wonderful well, to be yeah. with you today. I'd rather it be the morning. So that's where we really are. Um, how are you doing? You're you're, uh, you're you're very much in the news, but we'll explore the Isla Vista connection for the most part here today. That's the purpose of the program, of as usual. Well, you have a history with Isla Vista. This is not like a fresh connection for you, right? Yes, I'm very um, well aware and excited about the opportunity to represent Isla Vista with the County Board of Supervisors. My relationship with Isla Vista goes back to my um, pre-college days, but I was a student at UCSB. And while I was a student at UCSB, then County Supervisor Bill Wallace appointed me to the Isla Vista Community Council, where I served for a couple of years representing my um, neighbors and friends and fellow students on the Isla Vista Community Council, trying to improve the quality of life for everyone. And it's been a, a really great relationship ever since. I think Isla Vista, frankly, is one of the most beautiful communities in our county. And there are so many creative, interesting people doing wonderful work. Um, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to represent um, everyone. And um, I'm going to hit the ground running because of my past history and relationship. And I have a fantastic staff here at the County Board of Supervisors who are all deeply connected to Isla Vista um, right. one way or another. My, my scheduler, Ashley Cruzel, was is a gaucho too. Ethan Bertrand um, is serving currently on the Isla Vista Community Services District and is a Isla Vista resident. And then Chris Henson, my chief of staff, was the chief of staff for um, Doreen Farr, who represented Isla Vista when she was on the Board of Supervisors. So we got a lot of institutional memory and a lot of interest in um, actively engaging with the Isla Vista community. Right. And just give us uh, the when when were you a student and, and active in Isla Vista yourself? When was that? Well, I was a student. I was a student in the early 1980s. And um, I was served on the community council at that time. It's like such a long time ago, and because it, it is. It was. Um, but <laughs> the, the issues that were confronting the community then remain very high priorities now. Um, and it shows how difficult it is to solve these very longstanding and um, tough issues. You know, things like affordable housing, homelessness, parking has always been a challenge in Isla Vista. And... Uh, I'm, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. Joan Hartman has done an absolutely fabulous job representing the community, and we work very closely and are continuing to overlap and um, work together on, on the transition from her representation to mine. So it's kind of interesting observation to me is that um, 
actually three members of the board have close connections to Isla Vista. So there's Jones long, now longstanding representation, which, which is about to change, but she became quite engaged with Isla Vista and she has staff as well who were. And then Das grew up there to a great extent. Um, and so, we, and he, and when he was in this in the legislature, played a very important role in creating the legal basis for what became the community services district that you that you mentioned before. So, um, uh, in a strange way, Isla Vista is uh, has a lot of of representation uh, on that board. Personal personal connections that three board members have. So, I guess. Uh, that that's good news for Isla Vista, which has long-standing feelings of being non not represented at all very well. That was so. So let's explore those issues that you were alluding to in terms of how you see them. Um, I think housing has been in the on the front, you know, the front front of people's mind this this past few months, given the uh, housing shortage that students faced when they got back here after the uh, when in-person instruction revived here uh, and uh, I'm personally very interested in the housing issues related to the university and, and Isla Vista but how do you see that that issue um, uh, and, and what do you what's the role of the board or uh, and you in particular maybe in, in helping cope with that well I think it is uh, the housing situation is now a crisis when students are living in motels and in cars, and um, there is no end in sight to that in terms of relief in the short run with construction of new housing, you know, we got a very, very serious problem. And the county has been um, deeply engaged with the university and the leadership there on trying to get them to uh, re recognize their responsibility and the commitment that they made, um, gosh, 12 years ago, back when the, the 20... Um, the long range development plan was approved right. and the university was authorized to increase its enrollment to 25,000 students. The university committed to meeting that increased housing demand with the construction of um, housing for students, faculty and staff, and they have not met that responsibility. And the, the gap in what they promised and what they have delivered has created this tremendous, tremendously low vacancy rate in um, not just in Isla Vista, but throughout the whole South County, because students right. are forced to live wherever they can, and folks who are, you know, working are in the same housing market. So we have got a terrible problem, and we need the university to step up and solve that problem. And I'm doing everything I can to work with the university, but also to remind them of their legal responsibility. The city of Goleta has sued um, the university over this issue, and the county is considering doing the same thing. We're trying to engage with the UC regents to get their attention to this issue. And um, the most important thing is to get us back on track to building the units that the university specified um, back when they made the commitment in the long range development plan and to do that as fast as possible. What's particularly frustrating and been difficult to understand is that there are private sector developers that are out there that build student housing all across the country and have have offered to do that at UCSB, and for an inexplicable reason, um, the campus administration has has not chosen that route. They are pursuing the the Munger proposal, the, the largest dorm in the world, 
And there are so many challenges and issues with that um, that I don't know that that's going to be a solution. And and for having having gone this long and waited to put the entire emphasis on this very controversial project seems very short-sighted. And I, I just want us to get back on track with what was originally uh, proposed so that we can get units built and get students in the housing that they um, expect to have as a, as a college student. I like the way you're framing this because I'm very, I myself have been quite involved with this issue um, as one of the conveners of a coalition called Sun Sustainable University Now, which has, like the city of Goleta and the county, agreements that we uh, formulated with UCSB a decade ago around a whole bunch of the impacts of UCSB growth on the community. And we, we were these agreements designed to make sure there's community benefit from that growth. Housing is the one area where they uh, have have defaulted, as you're, as you're pointing out. I just want to add, though, for, for your um, own rumination and thought about how to resolve this, is, is that the, uh, the perfect storm of housing is contributed, was, con, was, was greatly uh, facilitated, that storm, by the legislature. They insisted on a more rapid growth in, in the enrollment in the UC system than had been planned for. And that added to the uh, crisis. In, in, in a way, it accelerated the crisis. Uh, the Munger Project, uh, as you, my understanding of the consequences of going with Munger has been to prevent other options for dormitory development that were on the table 10 years ago. That was what was contemplated 10 years ago. They froze all that planning and they went ahead with the Munger concept. And um, and yes, and that's become a worldwide scandal. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard anything about the fact that, you know, now the, the faculty Senate asked for a review, external review of the Munger project uh, and that the chancellor agreed to that. So it may be where the administration's about to acknowledge a different path for dormitory development. I don't know if you're, how much you, you're clued in on this. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm aware of that, that they are, you know, considering having multiple paths to success. And I think that's extraordinarily important. You know, you can't just put your eggs in one basket and that particular basket, the Munger proposal, is just so difficult to see a, a, an easy path to um, approvals to the Coastal Commission, even even the regions, the the publicity surrounding that experimental project has been bouncing around the world, and yes. it has not been positive. And I think that, you know, I can understand the the natural interest in trying to to marry the philanthropy of Mr. Munger to the crisis of the housing problem, and to try and have his the considerable um, generosity help with that. But at a certain point, you know, that we are not making forward progress. We're just spinning around and um, the consequences to the community are just too dear. This is too urgent to, to, to continue to delay. And um, it's important to get back on track with the, the very conventional, easily achievable housing that was proposed back in 2010. You know, had those projects just been initiated, we would not be having this conversation, but there's a 3,500 uh, bed student housing gap. And there's also additional 
gap in staff and faculty housing. So the, exactly. the problem yeah. is serious and severe. severe. Um, even small numbers of units in our very tight housing market, you know, radically affect the vacancy rate. And I just, I got an email over the weekend from a student who's living in Isla Vista and was paying, I think, $4,500 rent for a three-bedroom um, unit. There, the landlord there is going to renovate the property and evict the students and then <laughs> raise the rent to $7,500. And that is Ridiculous. exactly... That is the, that is a perfect example of how tight the housing market is and how out of proportion rents are becoming. And you know this is this gets to you know the inequality of incomes of the parents and the students that are attending the university. You know, some parents are uh, significantly um, well off and they can afford to pay that kind of rent, but most of the students that is just a crushing rent burden that is unimaginable. And um, we need to have more supply in order to put the supply demand curve back into balance to, to some extent and reduce this crushing burden on increasing rents that students and all community members are facing. Yes. Uh, you mentioned a couple of other issues, perennial issues of, that are, you know, very di difficult and homeless issue, which relates, you know, obviously to housing. Sometimes we talk about houseless people. Um, what what do you what, how how do you frame that issue now? There, there's certainly been a lot of uh, programs and action that have uh, been been uh, underway in Isla Vista around that. And what how how would you sum up the situation? Well, I'm really pleased with how things have evolved over the past um, year or so because the 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 challenge is enormous. And the pandemic obviously has exacerbated many of the challenges that we're facing just as a society and as an economy and in the individual person that is dealing with the trauma of this incredible um, life changing event. And as a result of this, you know, we we're seeing more people who um, are experiencing homelessness in our community and and living in tents in very visible places. Um, there's lots of reasons for that, but um, the experience in Isla Vista was particularly acute, where there were so many people living in, in the parks um, that there, it demanded a new solution. And um, for the first time, the county embraced the idea of using pallet houses as a lower cost process to get folks off the street and into housing, and then ultimately into permanent supportive housing. And the, the wonderful result of that experience was success. We were able to place a large number of those folks in, in permanent supporting housing. Um, a large number of folks who were living in tents who, are, who were really initially did not seem as though they were willing to come indoors um, did because there was tremendous outreach, very persistent um, professional outreach to folks. And, you know, and, and I think what's different about the pallet houses as opposed to the traditional um, homeless shelters that we've offered people in the past is there's a degree of privacy that, that resonates better with individuals. And so the combination of having some of the, the hotels and motels that we've been able to develop in the county through the, through the state home key project and room key projects um, with the pallet houses has demonstrated that we can move people from you know, living in tents on the street into a, an indoor environment get them the supportive services that they need, whether it's drug and alcohol counseling or mental health services um, or even housing services and job training, whatever it takes 
to help put, get that person back onto a more positive track. And, and it works that we're, we're seeing results. We're, we just in the last year, I think there's about, about, it's been about 750 people countywide who have moved from experiencing homelessness to being in a, in a housing unit. And that same number um, occurred the year before. So we're, we're really making progress on um, mm-hmm. getting folks housed. But unfortunately, the challenge is increasing because of these other issues that we're talking about, the housing crisis locally and the incredibly increasing rent. So we're, we're not, you know, it's not as visible as we'd like it to be. It's not as obvious the success that we are making. But I think for the first time, we know what to do we have the resources coming from the state and federal government that's making it possible to do these projects, and we're demonstrating results. And there's a growing consensus amongst all the local governments around Santa Barbara County that this is the right approach. We just need to stay together, and we need to provide units in all the parts of the county. Um, you know, Historically, there have been differences of opinion amongst elected officials in different parts of the county about whether this solution is was a solution. I don't think that is... Um, as much of a problem as it, as it was in the past because the results speak for themselves. And, um, and I'm really excited, actually, about the potential for making more progress as long as the state and federal government can continue to provide the resources that we need to build the projects and, and keep people in the pipeline. Yes, and there is, you know, right now, there's, there's as you said, considerable money flowing into this problem. Uh, hope uh, I always wonder... But you, um, you, you sound good about the idea that the county itself is geared up to make use of those resources that they, we, you say we know what to do, you know, because there tends to be this cynical attitude that homelessness is insoluble. I don't know where that comes from, but it, um, it, it's there, often repeated by people, uh, right? I mean, I don't, um, I'm sure you've heard that kind of feeling being expressed. Absolutely. I've heard that from some of my board colleagues, unfortunately, but I think... Uh, that the experience of the last couple of years is really starting to change hearts and minds. When, when the point in time count is done countywide, you know, once a year we we do this and we have volunteers that go out in the community and try and do a census of people who are unhoused. Um, The number is about 2000 individuals countywide. So that is a very manageable number. It's a big number and it's not easy to address, but it's, you know, our problem is, is more, solvable than it is obviously in a place like Los Angeles County where the, the number of unhoused people you know is is vastly larger. Yeah. So I, I think the fact that we have that kind of a, a population and we have the commitment of all the local governments in the county and we have the resources now really for the first time, um, significant resources in both the state and government, state and state and federal government, um, we're we're able to make progress. But the challenge going forward will be is the money from the state and federal government sustainable? Is it going to be long-term? Are we going to be able to count on that in the future? Or is this just a one-time infusion of dollars? Clearly the problem isn't a one-time problem. It's an ongoing problem. And if, if our um, state and federal partners can recognize that and understand that and, and create a funding source that is reliable and, and permanent, you know, I know we can make the progress and we can solve this, this situation. Great. Yeah. So uh, you also mentioned uh, parking as an issue, and it is a very much a perennial issue. I don't have any um, much knowledge myself 
I'm a kind of interloper as a, in playing this role because I'm not an Isla Vista resident, but I have a long history as a faculty member and sociologist, if you will, and community person in, in relating to the to Isla Vista over the years. But the, the parking issue is not one that I fully understand uh, how to even begin to deal with. But I, I wonder if there's any newsworthy thing you insight or ideas or knowledge you have about that, right? As you begin to be the, the supervisor for Isla Vista. Well, it's a very difficult problem. And as I said, it goes back um, as long as I've been engaged with Isla Vista. There just are too many cars and too few parking spaces in, in Isla Vista. It is the same supply demand imbalance that we talked about in regard to housing. So in the long run, we have to reduce the number of cars that are in Isla Vista. And the, and the best way to do that is to provide uh, meaningful, successful transportation alternatives so that people have other options. Fortunately, the Metropolitan Transit District, which runs our bus service in, in South County, is an extremely capable, high-quality operator. And they have developed you know, very successful bus lines that connect the campus to the community. And there is tremendously um, high frequency service between the campus and downtown at the transit center, um, which works fabulously, connects Isla Vista as well to Santa Barbara City College. They are struggling right now, like just about everybody, keeping staff through the pandemic and particularly during the surge. So unfortunately, in the very short term, they have had to reduce service because they don't have enough bus drivers and mechanics to keep the, the buses operating. But you know that hopefully will ease as the pandemic eases, and, and we're all hopeful that this latest Omicron surge will taper off and that we'll get to a better place in the summer. Um, but there's there's been many other interesting initiatives. You know the the scooters that have come from the private sector into Isla Vista, the bike sharing services that are available, um, car sharing services. That we just need to to have more of those options available for students so that they can get to the train if they want to go home. They, they don't have to they have a car for that purpose. They can get downtown. They can do all the things that they need to do without having a car. And I, and I do think the university needs to begin to embrace the idea that um, incoming students that are new to the university should not be able to bring a car onto campus. And I think that's, that's something that's very common on right. university campuses in the country. And it would make a huge difference to disconnect that. And it would provide you know, that demand side of the equation for the transportation alternatives that we're talking about to make those services more successful. You know, if students um, didn't have a car, they would they would choose the alternatives that they do. Um, so it, it's something that is difficult um, because, you know, we can't just eliminate parking spaces or add more parking spaces. Uh, actually, that's more, that would be a better solution for the problem. There isn't the physical space, there isn't the resources. Um, we just need to encourage people to find other ways to get around town. Right, and uh, you know, I think this 21st century generation of students and even staff and faculty are more, uh, much more open than maybe uh, in the past to the idea that public transit and bike riding and, and walking are better ways of getting around than, than the private automobile, uh, that there's more receptivity to the idea that we gotta get alternatives um, and the idea of Yes, other colleges do, uh, I guess, ban incoming students from bringing cars the first, at least while they're living on campus. 
dormitories and that it's probably, I don't know where that idea is in the agenda of decision-making at, at UCSB, but it's certainly been talked about. Um, so I am um, struck by your recollection, uh, Greg, that you were, and by the way, this is the program we call Inside Ala Vista, and we're conversing with Greg Hart, uh, county supervisor now representing Isla Vista in a historic shift of that representation. Uh, and uh, you remembered that you were on the um, Community Council of Isla Vista, which uh, just a few years after that was formed, right? When you, when you were serving yes. on that. The very early years, you know, the university and Isla Vista have a very complicated relationship that goes back a very long time. And I think for, for many years, for decades, in fact, it was a matter of trying to get the university to recognize that it had a responsibility to help improve the quality of life in, in Isla Vista. And that when I served on the Isla Vista Community Council in those days, that was really the, the focus, was trying to get that relationship created in the first place. I think things have evolved now to where the university absolutely understands its, its role in Isla Vista and how important that community is the success of the college and the campus and the um, faculty and staff and students. Um, but, you know, and we have evolved the governance structure to where now we have the Isla Vista Community Services District and there are elected representatives that are able to provide direct services to community residents in Isla Vista. And there's a voice, a democratic voice where folks get to elect those representatives. And then there are, you know, partners in both working with the county and with the university on solving these difficult problems. And there, there's a main, uh, quite a few wonderful success stories um, to, to be proud of. And, and there's just a much better working relationship um, between all the entities. As you mentioned, three of the Board of Supervisors um, and their staff are deeply connected to Isla Vista. There's just a feeling, I think, of respect for the community that is different than it was 20 years ago. And, totally uh, different. Think, <laughs> yeah, yeah this, is, this is really a, a great moment to be representing the Isla Vista community on, on the Board of Supervisors, because I think there's just great opportunity for us to be successful together. And I might comment just because I, I, I'm old enough to have the uh, historical memories, uh, is that the university not only neglected Isla Vista, but opposed self-government for Isla Vista. So the total 180 degree turn in university policies uh, culminated in the in this community service district model of self-government that is now now established university helps the budget of the CSD um, and uh, you know and, and is part of a, a kind of agreement that's there so um, yeah I'm I'm it took 50 years to come to this point of, of community owner self-ownership you might say and uh, with the support of the university partnership and the county board as well. You think there's any residues of, of hostility to the um, sin city of Isla Vista that was so evident decades ago? Is that still there? I don't think, yeah, I don't think so institutionally. I don't think so in terms of the relationship of county leadership and um, the university and the Isla Vista Community Services District. Those relationships are very respectful, very productive. Um, I think there are still confusion in the, the larger community about how Isla Vista fits into the fabric in the South County. Um, and that, that I think is, it will just take time, you know, to evolve as, as new people move into 
Santa Barbara County, um, they have a different experience with the Isla Vista community. And I think that, that it's a positive one and, and that will only help strengthen these connections. But um, it, it's wonderful to be in a place where everybody's just rolling up their sleeves trying to solve problems rather than trying to you know, create a mechanism to have a voice. Um, it's much more productive. And, and that, that kind of success, those successful relationships to get successful programs that provide real meaningful services to the residents. And there's sort of a virtuous circle of that. When you're, when you're successful and you're solving problems, you know, people want you to solve more problems. And that's what we're all trying to do together. Um, you know, there's wonderful public safety programs that the Isla Vista Community Services District is, has been championing. There are um, beautification efforts that the Isla Vista Recreation Park District are, are doing. You know, everybody is trying to be a collaborative um, engine of change in a positive way. And it's, it's wonderful to be part of that. So, uh, Greg, you, you, you're the, you're now the supervisor because of redistricting at the county level and redistricting at the state level has created a new district for the uh, embodying Santa Barbara County uh, for the state uh, legislature, for, for the assembly. And you have uh, announced your candidacy for that seat. So um, let me put it this way. You, you're, you're, you're so knowledgeable, brilliant, and um, engaged with this community. Why would you want to go to Sacramento? Well, I've, it's become very obvious in my four years of serving on the Board of Supervisors how the issues that we struggle with to solve and the things we've been talking about and more, you know, protecting our environment, advancing equity, criminal justice reform, housing, homelessness, you know, parking in Isla Vista and alternative transportation. These things, all these local issues have parallels in Sacramento and the state capital because the funding that we rely on to, to run local government comes from our state and federal partners and the decisions that are made in Sacramento and the state capital kind of define the opportunities that we have to address these issues. And I think the experience that I've gained in um, three decades as a public servant in Santa Barbara County, as a Isla Vista Community Council member, as a California Coastal Commissioner, as a Santa Barbara City Council member, and now as a member of the Board of Supervisors, gives me a unique perspective on how local government can um, best address these problems with a supportive state legislature that provides the resources in a way that makes these programs effective. And I think you know, for too long, there has not been a strong voice in Sacramento for that specific experience and that knowledge um, in a really granular way about how local government works. And I want to bring that to Sacramento and help be in the rooms where those decisions about resources are being made. You know, one of the interesting things in my experience really relates to housing and was the redevelopment agencies that were created by the state of California. Um, were intended to improve the economic growth of communities. But in addition to that, they had a role in providing funding for affordable housing. And in the city of Santa Barbara, the redevelopment agency was really the key engine to supporting our housing authority in the development of thousands of units of affordable housing that, that people live in today, that, that are part of our fabric of our community and have helped to stabilize the population of folks you know, who can't afford private sector market rate rents 
but have deep ties to our community. So there were thousands of units that were built over a 20, 30 year period through the funding um, from the redevelopment agency. And the, but there were also excesses around the state of California where local governments were using the primary funding source for redevelopment in inappropriate ways that were very controversial. And the legislature in trying to solve that problem decided to eliminate the redevelopment agencies as a funding mechanism for local government. And you know that may have been appropriate for the economic development portion of the redevelopment agencies, but it has really handicapped our ability to provide affordable housing um, at the local level. And that is something that has been lost in this, in this disillusion of the redevelopment agencies that I'd like to see come back. And I, so I think things like that that are very specific and very practical and have demonstrated success over the long term, we need to get back into a partnership with the state of California to do that, to provide that funding so that local governments can plan, can have projects um, in the pipeline that are delivering the units that we need um, because our housing crisis is clearly um, beyond the ability of, of the private sector to solve. We need the construction of public affordable housing to meet the, the needs of our local residents and make a dent in the, the housing crisis that we're facing. And thank, yes, and that's a great statement. And I, um, I'm very appreciative of it, particularly because I'm very interested in the same kinds of issues. And uh, um, I want to just express, as we come to a, a close, my appreciation, Greg, for your years and years of public service. I admire very much people who do that. And instead of being burned out by it, you seem to be even more energized, which um, I, I hope that's true because. Uh, because you've got the ideas and skills to, to really help. And um, thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Uh, this has been Inside Isla Vista. My name is Dick Flax, uh, one time professor of sociology at UCSB Emeritus. Uh, thanks to Lisa Osborne for being our producer. Uh, and we'll see you again someday on this program, Inside Isla Vista. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Dick. It's been a pleasure. It's always great to chat. And thank you very much for the kind words. I thoroughly enjoy my role as a public servant. And I do have tremendous energy for this work, despite having done it a while. Um, I really look forward to the opportunity to represent the Isla Vista community for this next year. And then hopefully as um, the state legislature for this area. Well, good luck. And thank you again.